home for the holidays I believe I've missed each and every face Come on and play one easy Let's turn on every love light in the place It's time I found myself This is Robert Steinbuck and I am filling in for Dave Ellswick uh, this morning uh, so I hope you're looking forward to New Year's Day tomorrow. Uh, we've got a good show, as we always do here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. And I would like to start with a d- discussion with a topic that we've talked about before and I think is always useful to further elaborate on, and that is free speech. Now, obviously... I'm in favor of free speech. I'm here on the radio talking to you all on behalf of Dave Ellswick. I certainly don't want to be constrained in what I say and what I do. But I also want to highlight what free speech means, touch on its origins in the U.S. through the modern era of free speech, and then relate that to what's going on now by the left against lawyers and others who support Donald Trump. First and foremost, we must understand that free speech is the protection of speech we don't like. Not speech we like, because speech we like doesn't need any protection. No one's coming up to you and saying, oh, you shouldn't be saying nice things to people. No one comes up to you and says, you shouldn't be repeating nursery rhymes. Free speech is the protection of things we don't like or that others don't like. And that's the key to the equation here. Meaning, we get to say things that other people don't like, and they get to say things we don't like. So the archetype of speech that we conservatives don't like It's flag burning. Now, first and foremost, I recognize that when people say, but that's not speech at all. You're burning a flag. But if you think about it, I hope you recognize that your objection to that very offensive behavior, and it is very offensive behavior, is the comment that it's making. It's making an anti-American comment. In other words, if someone had an old tattered flag, dug a hole and put it in there to destroy it because it was already damaged uh, and burnt it and then buried it without any public display of that, you wouldn't have an objection to that. There's no comment being made. In fact, it's done in a respectful way. Think of it like a burial. So your objection and my objection, by the way, to flag burning is that it offends my sensibilities because it says perhaps the most negative thing you can say about our great country. But while it offends our sensibilities, we recognize that our commitment to free speech supplants our personal offense. That's how the First Amendment works. If you still don't like that analogy, by the way, or that description, then replace flag burning with some deeply anti-American statements. Those two are protected. Or take, for example, something particularly 
relevant to someone like me. I'm Jewish, as you know. Someone has a swastika, you know, the Nazi symbol. Well, that's deeply offensive, too. They're allowed to have it. I don't have to associate with them, but they're allowed to have it. So that's free speech in a nutshell. Now, what's interesting about free speech in the modern era, era, excuse me, that's a little of my New York coming out, is that it developed in the 60s on the West Coast by the liberals. It was called the free speech movement. And they pushed the boundaries of what we understood protected by the First Amendment to a point that the Supreme Court issued rulings consistent with what I'm describing now, uh, a more pro-free speech approach to the Constitution. That's a good thing. So the liberals produced a good outcome by saying things we don't like, but by protecting our right. Fast forward to the to today, shall we say, and it didn't only happen today, but it happened in, certainly, I would say, in the last five to ten years. The left has taken a whole new approach. And what's critical to recognize is the left is the outgrowth of liberalism, but it's the most extreme portion of the liberals. And they've taken over. They've taken over, to be clear, uh, liberal thought, not conservatives. And now, to the left, the idea is that if you say something that's deeply offensive to them, by the way, it doesn't work the other way, if you say something that's deeply offensive to them, that's no longer speech. Now, we're not even talking about something like flag burning, which we have to equate to speech because it obviously is not coming out of your mouth or it's not written on a page. It's symbolic speech. They say simply if you say something that is deeply offensive to the left, that is so bad that you are physically harming them. So no longer is it speech, you see because we're always allowed to protect people from physical harm. That's what laws do, right? You're not allowed to murder. You're not allowed to mug. You're not allowed to attack. Uh, all of those things, because we're allowed to stop people from doing physical acts that are harmful to others. And sometimes, by the way, prevent them from doing physical acts harmful to themselves by law under threat of punishment, such as imprisonment. But the left says now, while you have free speech, but you can't do things like uh, use hate speech because that's not protected by free speech. Wait, what? Wait, what? So let's break this down. They use a term, hate speech, which has the word speech in it, and they're telling you that's not speech. That's not protected by free speech. Isn't that something else? because it underscores the hypocrisy of the left in America. There's one set of rules for conservatives, and there's one set of rules for leftists. So, say the leftists. See, conservatives don't have that approach. For the most part, I'm not saying there aren't some people who, who could do a better job, but for the most part, conservatives 
seek to set forth a set of rules that apply to everyone. And so we bear the burden of hearing speech we don't like because we believe in free speech. That's the, that's the paradox of free speech. That is, while you protect someone else, while you protect your right to say something that offends someone else, of course, it inherently protects someone else's right to say something that's offensive to you. And you don't have to listen to it, by the way, but you can't stop them from saying it, meaning you can walk away. You can change the television channel. You can not buy the newspaper or flip to the next article. These are all ways of avoiding speech that you find offensive. But the notion of free speech says the one thing you can't do to stop hearing the offensive speech is to put a sock in the mouth of the speaker. No, that's not what you can do under the notion of free speech. And I always remember when I watch these war movies, and in fact, when I hear actual war veterans talking on television or in person, whatever it may be, and they say, well, I protect your right to believe what you believe and say what you say. And I agree with that. I think they're saying it exactly right. And that includes the leftist saying stuff I don't like. Because I know... For me, I'm given even bigger protection. Why? Me personally. Because I'm in academia. And academia across this country. I go to conferences. I I talk to academics all over the country. And academia is overwhelmingly leftist. Now, why that's the case is perhaps something we'll get into a little bit later or another day. But as for today, know that I live in a sea of leftists. So my ability to say something conservative is far more constrained, but for free speech, than that of leftists. Because they're all in a coffee clutch. They're all talking to each other. So nobody's saying anything that anybody else disagrees with, to a point, of course. I want to come to an article in the New York Times, but it might be an opportune time, Heidi, to take a break. What do you think? I think so, too. Let's do it. Robert Steinbach is filling in for Dave on The Dave Ellswick Show. His opinions are his and his alone and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of UA Literoc, where he is a law professor at the Bowen School of Law. We will be right back. We need to get to your news. This is The Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. This is The Dave Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbach filling in for Dave this Thursday morning. We've been talking about free speech and how it is particularly important for conservatives today in America. Of course, I highlighted how it's important for conservatives in academia because we're surrounded, we few conservative academics, by leftists. But it's not the only environment in which it's relevant. Uh, It happens Uh, uh, throughout this country, in those pockets, in those areas where liberals, or I should say, to be fair, leftists are in charge, 
and they do not want to allow conservatives to express their views. Now, here's an interesting example. President Obama was against gay marriage before he was for it. And I may surprise some of my conservative colleagues to say, not to say that I'm for it or against it, but to say, I've got no problem with somebody changing their mind. So the fact that Obama changed his mind, that's okay. We change our minds as a general matter, hopefully, because we further think about an issue and we come to a better conclusion. Sometimes we change it for the worse, but the goal, of course, is to improve. So I've got no problem with the fact that President Obama changed his mind on gay marriage. Here's where I have a problem. Now that he has changed his mind, and essentially moments after he changed his mind, if you were a conservative and said you were for traditional marriage, uh, well, then all of a sudden you were racist or homophobe or whatever the word they decided to call you at the moment, whatever slur they decided to call you, essentially, whatever ist, as I like to say, meaning like racist, even though homophobe doesn't follow that gra- grammatical pattern of ist. I put it in that category. So the day before Obama was pro um, gay marriage, you could say you weren't for gay marriage. The day after Obama changed his mind and was for gay marriage, you couldn't say you're against gay marriage. This is what I'm talking about. It's the leftist suffocation of conservative beliefs once the left the left has put those conservative beliefs on their list of no-nos, on their list of things you are not permitted to say. There's an article in the New York Times, our favorite punching bag to some extent. It's it's hard, you know, when you, if you've smoked for years or you drink coffee for years, uh, you get hooked. Well, I've read the New York Times for years, so it's hard to pull away, folks. It's my addiction of the day, shall we say. And unfortunately, they've changed and they've changed radically. And I, and I use that term intentionally because radically describes the left. They're radical. Um, now, what I'm going to read to you is not an, one of their typical leftist articles, and maybe that's why I continue to read them, because from time to time they present some straight news. But now when I talk about the New York Times, I feel compelled to give the apt disclaimer that the New York Times is no longer an objective news source. It's not. It's not. But we still find some news there. Absolutely. And so the article is about how those lawyers that support Trump's support Trump, meaning represent him in court for whatever issue. Now we're going to talk about the issue of the election, but it's not limited to that. So whatever lawyers, who, whichever lawyers Trump hires, they are being targeted by the left. And again, it was originally the left's view of law more than conservatives, although I think conservatives aptly adopted 
the core notion as well, that lawyers represent clients regardless of whether or not they agree with clients or, and regardless of whether or not they like clients. A lawyer's job, amongst other things, is to say, represent a murderer. Now, you, if you don't do criminal law, you don't represent a murderer because it's not what you do. Law, in many respects, is like medicine. You focus on a particular area, so you don't go to an orthopedist for an internal medicine issue, right, uh, and vice versa. And you don't go to a lawyer who does civil law. That means non-criminal, essentially. Contracts are the, the key example, but there's so much, much more. Car accidents, all of that civil law. Why? Because the state's not involved. It's two people fighting. Criminal law, one party is the state. So, but let's say you represented criminal defendants. Well, of course, amongst them will be people who are guilty, people who you know are guilty, and perhaps murderers, you never know what type of client you get. And leftists were probably stronger in the past about saying, well, you don't blame the lawyer for representing a bad person because we believe everybody should have representation. So you might say, well, if you know, gee, why should you represent him? Because you still have to make sure that the process, even for the guilty person, is fair. And moreover, if you don't think about it like poker, if you don't represent the guilty person, that means that the, the prosecutors will know that you're only representing the innocent people. And then there's no trial. We need to have a system because, let's be clear, because sometimes prosecutors will think people are guilty and defense attorneys will say, no, you have the wrong person. So we need to have a system that forces prosecutors to present their best case every time so that we get to the ultimate truth through a trial process or settlement. So the article says Trump lawyers get little backup from their firms or universities. Because, right, there are two sets of lawyers typically out there. Lawyers practicing in private practice. And people like me. I'm admitted in Arkansas and elsewhere, by the way, New York, D.C., etc., right? In which I represent clients and private attorneys. Chris Corbett, who's going to call in later, he's in private practice. He represents uh, 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 clients rather in his own firm the Chris, it's the corporate law firm all we have right, that a Robert, lot let's, yep. let's continue this uh, into yeah, the next segment uh, we have to get to your news we'll be right back Robert Steinbach is filling in for Dave on the Dave Ellswick show we'll be back with Rob and Chris on the Dave Ellswick show this is the Dave Ellswick show and I am Robert Steinbach filling in for Dave on this Thursday morning on 101.1 FM, The Answer. We have on the line with us Chris Corbett. Chris, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Terrific. Chris, we are talking about free speech uh, and something that you will hear in a moment. You probably were listening in. In fact, you'll hear in a moment relates directly to what you do as a lawyer. But, of course, we can extrapolate more broadly to what all our Kansans and what all Americans do, which is express their beliefs through free speech. What I'm talking about at the moment is this article in the New York Times 
the title of which says Trump lawyers get little backup from their firms or universities. And I had mentioned before the break that reflects on the fact that there are attorneys who practice in a firm structure like you, corporate law firm, or there are attorneys who practice in the structure I do as an academic, meaning I teach law. And then on the side, so to speak, I practice law. I say so to speak in the sense that when I practice law, I practice law. So sometimes, you know, you say, well, I do it on the side like a hobby. Uh, Well, uh, when I do my hobby of practicing law, uh, I do it the way a practitioner does. That's all I'm saying. In any event, let me read you a little bit from this article, and let's you and I discuss this for Dave's audience. So um, it says, lawyers helping Trump uh, with his, of course, they have to say this, by the way, quixotic election challenge. You know, that's based on Don Quixote, the, the story where a guy goes up and tries to knock over a windmill. And, of course, he can't. Right? And so he keeps trying to do it, meaning it's futile. The, the media can't help. The mainstream media can't help themselves but to inject their personal opinions into the outcome. And someone said, well, isn't it true that so far he hasn't won any of these cases? Yes, but it doesn't mean, you know, half the cases, excuse me, every case that goes to trial, half the people lose, right? Because one person (laughs) sues another person. Somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. So were all of those quixotic, right? No, they weren't quixotic. Some of them may have been, some of them may have been ridiculous, but many of them were good faith disputes in which, and you don't have to be the person suing, you could be the person defending, saying, no, I have a right. So, but of course, the mainstream media can't help but to attack it. And by the way, folks, you know, well, Trump lost every one of them. You know the one that he lost in the Supreme Court? You know why he lost the one in the Supreme Court? They said he didn't have any standing. You know what standing means? It means they didn't address the substance of the lawsuit at all, at all. It means, oh, there may be something to that case, or there may not be something to that case, but you don't have a right to bring that case. If someone could bring that case, it's got to be someone else. And by way of analogy, by way of example, let's say your neighbors are fighting over the fence line. And, you know, neighbor A says the fence is at one foot this way, and neighbor B says, no, it's another foot, one foot in the opposite direction. And all they do is fight and they blast horns in the morning and and do all sorts of things like that. And so you say, look, I think we need to settle this. And you bring a lawsuit, not about the horns, not about the noise, but about where the fence line is. And remember, it's not on your side of the property because you figure, well, let's settle that dispute and we'll settle all of the other problems. Uh, an apt conclusion, no doubt. So you go to court and you sue neighbor A and B and say, I'm suing both of them so that the court can determine where the fence line is. And you know what the court says? Well, you don't have a dog in this hunt. You know what another phrase for you don't have a dog in this hunt is in the legal realm is you don't have any standing. That's what standing <laughs> is in a nutshell. Right. And so, yep. That's what the court said. That's and, what the Supreme and, Court said to yeah. the president. You don't have any standing. Does that mean his lawsuit had no merit? No, it don't. Right. Go ahead, Chris. Well, in my short practice, prosecutors um, and defense attorneys that are defending government entities, they love the standing argument. 
Literally, mm-hmm. literally. Last time I sued the city of Little Rock, the the defender, the, uh, one of the city attorneys at the city of Little Rock said, "Don't you just love a good standing argument?" And I just, you know, I just shook my head. I mean, it was hundreds of pages, twenty cases. They've got a they've got a canned standing memo and motion to dismiss ready to fire up. They just reach over on their desk, boom, change the names, filed. And it's a defense 100%. mechanism. It's a defense 100%. mechanism. And I, I was like, wait a I, minute, standing? Yeah, I got standing. My client has damage. My client has damages. Well, you got to get over it. And and um, in Trump's case, he didn't make it past the standing or the standing defense. So now that goes to say, sometimes it's a legitimate argument. Obviously, well, that's a de- it's a way. For judges to punt, they back up and punt. They don't want to go for it on fourth down because they might lose. They might lose, Rob. They might lose the argument. It's a perfect analogy. And and in fact, uh, I spoke to one judge who says courts, the, the focus of courts on standing arguments has become a fetish. It has become yes. an obsession. Yes. You yes. know. So. As you aptly say, isn't it though? As you aptly say, because you're a good legal practitioner, and I mean that, of course. uh, As you aptly say, it's not that it never applies, but I'll tell you this: it doesn't apply in the way that government entities generally suggest it applies, because they suggest it always applies. It can't always apply. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's their first go-to play. Let's talk about, you You know, what's wonderful about the court system is you get a decision. You may not like the decision, but you get a decision. It may not be well-reasoned. It may, it may be a terrible ruling, but guess what? Then you step back and go, hmm, let's see if we can appeal that. Exactly. Exactly. We got some terrible rulings from Judge Fox, for example. Terrible. Uh, uh, and we saw some yeah. terrible rulings from Judge uh, Billy Roy Wilson in the federal court, not regarding us, regarding Josh Sanford, who's a great attorney who practices law. What's that type of law? What's the name of that, Chris? You know, when you sue for employees. Oh, 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 the Fair Labor Standards Act, FLSA. That's right. And that, in a nutshell, folks, is if you're an employee of a business and they make you work more hours, uh, you're entitled by federal law to overtime. And if they don't give it to you, well, you get to sue. And Josh Sanford practices in that area of law, and he does a very good job at it, let me say. Notwithstanding Billy Roy Wilson's critiques, uh, Josh Sanford does an excellent job in the fair labor standards law area. I was mentioning before, earlier in the show, that lawyers practice in particular areas, and that's his particular area, uh, area, and he's quite good at it. Let me just excuse me. Let me just focus ah, well, on yeah. this article, Chris, for a moment, because I want no to get. We got off. We got here. off there for a second. Well, you know that's not unusual for us. Uh, <laughs> so it says here in the article that uh, Chapman University became the latest organization to formally distance itself from a Trump legal effort after it ordered faculty member John Eastman to stop using a Chapman email, phone number, and physical address in his court filings on behalf of Trump before the Supreme Court. A recent Supreme Court filing by the Trump campaign shows that Eastman had, has since changed his listed address uh, to something else. Uh, Eastman ties to Chapman, quote, 
should not be construed as implying any concurrence or approval for his actions by the university, end quote, said Chapman University president such and such. In a lengthy response to Chapman, Eastman said law faculty frequently use the university's address on court filings, and he accused the university of having a double standard toward Trump supporters. And that's the key here. Now, uh, Chris, as you well know, as Dave's audience well knows, Heidi and Dave and I make a point of saying that when I'm on the air, my views or my views alone do not necessarily reflect the views of the Bowen Law School here in Little Rock or University of Arkansas at Little Rock or the university system in general. And I think that's a good thing that we say that. And we have a rule, by the way, here at UA Little Rock, and I suspect in the UA system as well, to make clear to the public that when we are speaking as attorneys, uh, when we are speaking on issues of public concern, that we are not necessarily representing the views of the university. I think that's a good thing. So I I offer not only zero critique, of the universe of my university doing that i support it i think the university's policy is a smart policy what i want to raise is the fact that universities like chapman maintain a double standard here's that double standard the double standard is many attorneys there would use their uh, university address on their mailing label or they use their university phone number. Now, I, I don't do either one of them, uh, and I think that's a smarter move. But that's done for administrative ease, right? right. So whether you allow right. it or you don't allow it, you know, that's a, that's a perfectly apt decision either way. But what we hear from this article and what I know to be true across this country is that at many universities, if you're a leftist, and you represent clients from time to time, as, as you know, academic lawyers often do, no problem using your university mailing address, no problem using your university phone number. But if you're a conservative, uh, excuse me, the president's involved, the president of the university, and he's telling you, you can't do that. You know what we call that, Chris? We call that a double standard. Yeah, it's a double standard, and it's also compelled speech. Is it not? Is it not a government entity potentially compelling speech? It's really hmm. – Chris brings up as he – yeah, Chris, let me just explain the notion to you – to to the public, rather. So Chris brings up a very important legal concept, and it's called compelled speech. What happens when the university says something, and they say, this is a university position, or you must sign this document that says such and such? What happens there? Well, all of a sudden, they're speaking for you. So when is it that they are essentially (laughs) compelling you to take a loyalty oath? When is it when they are compelling you to effectively say something through your silence, through their action? That's And as a public entity, well, we don't want a public entity compelling speech for you, do we? And we've seen this across the country, by the way, more recently during all of these events, sort of post-George Floyd. You should see some of the statements that universities put out. They're dramatic. Well, Uh, they put out all of these social justice. Yeah, and they're leftist. Social justice statements that are off the rails. Go ahead, Chris. (laughs) Off the rails. Off the rails. And and not only that, Rob, um, the media, the media is chilling speech. They have become mm-hmm. a conduit to to um, 
potentially make you lose your job or bring this uh, public shame upon you for making a statement. And it's scary. It's really scary to me. I've got clients that come to me, Rob, and they want to, they, they think they've been wronged by a city or a government entity. And they tell me what's wrong. They tell me they've been hurt or damaged. And then they say, I'm worried about retaliation. I'm worried mm-hmm. the city may come back after me. It's a legitimate concern. And we have to address well, it. Indeed. And my response is, what do you, what do you, which horse do you want to back? You want to back, uh, you want to do right or you want to do wrong? Do you want to stand by and watch harm be done and do nothing? You have something to, you can do something about it. Now, be nice, do no harm, but you know what? You got to stand up sometimes. And I, and I, I got to say, Rob, uh, 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 sometimes I lose my cool and uh, I try not to, but you know what? Um, it's passion. It's called passion. And um, we need more people to stand up and, and call uh, a spade a spade. And they want to, if something's wrong, let's, let's, let's call it wrong and let's say something about it. And don't worry about where those cards lay and worry about well, being publicly shamed. By Let me give you an example right, of that, by the way, Chris. Let's, let's oh. talk about that example uh, when we come back from this break. Uh, Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett are your resident legal experts on The Dave Ellswick Show. We'll be right back with them on The Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. This is The Dave Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbach, filling for Dave this Thursday morning. On the line, as you know, with us is attorney... Professional engineer, lives up in the Conway area, practices in Conway, Little Rock, throughout the state, throughout the country, in fact. Chris Corbett. Chris, as you know, we're talking about free speech. We're we're talking about abuses by uh, government. We're talking about double standards. And you were talking about how it's difficult to sue an entity, a governmental entity, because the first thing that they come up with is, you don't have any standing. And then, of course, they have other arguments as well. And I want to transition from this important topic of free speech. Uh, first, I want to say, when the government seeks to prevent you from speaking, right? And this is what we were talking about, for example, with hate speech notions. Well, you can't say that because that's not speech. It's hate speech. Well, you really should choose a better term, leftists, because if you want to say it's not speech, of the two words that you use to describe it, I probably wouldn't choose speech as one of them. (laughs) But in addition, right, it's not like, really, really? Basically, we have virtually unlimited number of words, and the one word you chose is the one word that defines it out of behavior and into speech, because the word is quite literally speech. But in any event... I want to talk about how important it is to protect free speech. And one of the ways that we protect free speech is people say, well, I got a First Amendment right. Well, no, no, not necessarily. Because the the courts in 20, 30, last 30 years or so have narrowed the protections that you have under the First Amendment. They've gotten it wrong. But here's the thing. When the Supreme Court gets the law wrong, so to speak, when our interpretation of the law differs than what the Supreme Court has told us, because remember, for the most part, the liberals have had control over over a variety of topics 
before the Supreme Court, even though we've had allegedly a majority of conservatives, because we've had conservative swing votes that have swung left and so on. Free speech, the liberals have unfortunately had too much power and have diminished free speech. So if you work for a public entity, if you work for the city, if you work for the county, if you work for the state, and you go home at night, and as the analogy, as the story I like to use all the time, and you're sitting on your computer on Facebook in your footsie pajamas, and you write something, then, at night, at home, not on work, and you say something like what we talked about before the break, you say, I'm pro-traditional marriage. You could be fired by your mid-level bureaucrat boss in government. By the way, so many of these mid-level bureaucrat hacks are still a bunch of leftists. They're embedded in the government. Remember, the government didn't turn Republican until recently. And there are a lot of embedded leftist hacks. And they can fire you, Chris. They can fire you because of what you wrote on Facebook. At home. And, well, I've got a First Amendment yeah. right. Now you know. Not according to the Supreme Court, we, at least. We, 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 we've talked about it in so many ways and so many issues, Rob. The, the way now that they're trying to do it, they're trying to publicly shame Arkansas into passing this hate crime bill. Just because 48, 47 other states have passed a hate crime bill. This is, this is getting into speech. This is getting into... Uh, one race or a group of people bet is better than the other. And it's a way the leftists use the government to control you. They're going to either fine you $500 per day, or they're going to tack on more of a potential sentence because you may have said something that they don't like, like hate crime. What is a hate crime, Rob? You know, you really do raise an important issue, Chris, and that is this notion of hate crime. Uh, let me sort of describe the dichotomy. There's nothing inappropriate about punishing a crime, let's say murder, differently depending on the intent of the murderer. We have that all the time, right? So if you right, right. commit a murder right, in an act of passion, we punish you less severely than if you premeditate that murder. So we do consider intent when we punish murder and other crimes. However, the difficulty with hate crime legislation is it is traveling over to this notion of hate speech. And we see it for what it is, a likely attempt by the leftists to start to import into criminal law notions about punishing you solely for your thoughts. All right, y'all, we need to get to the news, so let's continue this into the 7 o'clock hour. Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett are your resident legal experts. They are filling in for Dave Ellswick. We'll be right back on The Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer.
is the Dave Ellswick Show, and as you know, I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave on this somewhat wet Thursday morning here in central Arkansas. We have on the line with us, as we often do, Chris Corbett, attorney, professional engineer, uh, most likely candidate for the state legislature coming this next term, obviously as a Republican. And, Chris, we are talking about free speech Uh, the dangers of the notion of hate speech and how that bleeds over into hate crimes legislation. And that's our concern. Our concern about hate crimes legislation is not that different people shouldn't be punished differently depending on their intent, but that it is the first foray into thought crimes. And we've seen it across this country. We know that this is the left's agenda. And so if they say, well, that's not what we're doing, we say, bullocks. We don't buy it. (laughs) And let me talk. Rob, this gets gets deep, Rob. It does, right? Let me talk with you about important legislation that we have here in Arkansas. We offered it up in the last legislative session. Uh, We weren't able to get it through. We're going to get it through this time. That's a bill originally drafted by Kim Hammer, the outstanding state senator, supported by Bob Ballinger, supported by Dan Sullivan, supported by other free speech advocates that says quite clearly and most simply, as I said, if you're at home saying something on uh, your Facebook, for example, uh, when you're not on duty and you are a employee of the state, an employee of a city or a county, that some mid-level bureaucrat can't fire you for your personal beliefs. And so I've heard people say, well, that's protected by the First Amendment. No, it ain't. No, it ain't. <laughs> the, the university, of all people, by the way, you know who showed up when we were proposing this bill last session? An attorney for the University of Arkansas. Why is an attorney for the University of Arkansas on his official time, on his government pay, coming to lobby against free speech? Shouldn't universities be the first to line up in favor of free speech? And the answer is not when it's conservative free speech. No, we talked about that before the break. You see, universities are against conservative free speech. So this attorney for the University of Arkansas came on government pay, on government time, on your taxpayer dollar. So if you have questions, by the way, about where your taxpayer dollars are are going, why don't you put in a phone call to the University of Arkansas's general counsel office and asking them, and ask them rather, why they're sending their government paid attorneys. By the way, and how much money they make? $150,000 or more. $150,000 or more. That's more than most. I think that's more than all of the law faculty make, by the way. And they go and they, what do they do? They lobby Mm -hmm. against free speech. What do you yeah. think about that, Chris? Rob, Rob, when you when I talk about free when they talk about free speech and this hate crime bill, it is so deceptive in what they're doing and it's so sneaky. Um, and I want to bring this point out. And I want to I want to try to hit a hit it hard here. General Flynn was charged under United States Code section it's eighteen United States Code section one thousand and one. It's the false lie. It's lying to a federal agent. He's just talking. Okay. Federal prosecutors have taken this statute and they murder folks with it. They put them, in, they put them, they put them in jail for a long time under the threat that you told us a lie. But but 
and it's speech, Rob. It's t- and think about what they're trying to do now with this hate crime bill. It, they're trying to impose more penalties out of something you're thinking, out of speech. Um, and you, you got into it, you were about to get into it for the break about how, yeah, we punish people for crimes for intent, right? So not only do we have the government um, compelling us not to speech, but, uh, not to speak, but now we got government agents being paid on government dime, taxpayers' dime, um, uh, prohibiting folks to come on campus, set up a table, and say, hey, Turning Point USA, come and join us. We're a conservative group. And they shut them down because of what they were thinking and what they think and what they want to say. It's, it's outrageous. Well, Chris, you, you really do raise a critical issue. Remember what happened in the last legislative session. There was this conservative group known as Turning Point USA, they all they did was have the temerity to put a table on uh, university grounds. Uh, this time it was ASU, and right. the uh, administration went after them, shut down the table, kicked them off, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, "Well, we're allowed to control the grounds." By the way, remember the grounds of a university don't belong to the university. Wait, Rob, what do you mean? It's university grounds. Excuse me. The university is the caretaker for the government, for the people. Those are your grounds. That's the public's grounds. The public said and has funded at great expense putting university buildings on that public land. So university administrators don't get to tell us what happens on public land. The legislature does. And so the legislature passed a law that said, hey, universities, you know, when you're shutting down speech and not so coincidentally, only conservative speech. Really? Really? Well, we're not going to let that happen anymore. And they passed a law, which we like to call the Dave Ellswick free speech bill. Why? Because Dave had been discussing this before the bill was even in anybody's head. And we worked, you and I with various state legislators, uh, Bob Ballinger, Kim Hammer, Dan Sullivan, to propose this bill, and we passed it. And the governor signed it. And he signed it publicly, because, and it was one of the few bills that he signed publicly. That was a great first step. <laughs> and we are going to continue that. Does that mean you have unlimited free speech on campus? No. And by the way, we're not saying that there aren't certain restrictions that can be put on place. In other words, you can't walk into a classroom and start giving a lecture as a person from the public when the professor is giving the lecture. So there are all sorts of limitations on this. But this is about uh, public areas, not lecture areas. And it's about free speech that doesn't infringe on other people's free speech. And already I've had state senators like Dan Sullivan and others say we need to go over that free speech on campus bill and see what areas we can improve. You can always improve on free speech and we're going to do it and we're going to pass it. And if we have a bunch of anti free speechers, be they leftists or even some Republicans who are not sufficiently committed to the notion of free speech, we're going to push back. And we're going to pass this bill. I don't even know what the bill is yet, but I know we can improve free speech on campus and elsewhere. So I know we'll have a bill, and I know that we will 
feel resistance from amongst others, Chris, as you know, as I just mentioned, from university-paid attorneys coming to lobby against the interests of free speech and to lobby against the interests of our Kansans in general. Isn't that remarkable? Uh, Why? Yeah, it's remarkable. Yeah, it's remarkable. Yeah, it's remarkable. I just, I just want to want to say how how they're gonna the way this thing is gonna be used, the way this these laws are gonna be practiced. It's gonna be it's gonna be a threat out there. You get charged with a hate crime, they're gonna say, look, you're looking at a potential escalation of your sentence here. You better plead guilty. This is what happened to uh, uh, Martha Stewart, uh, General Flynn. They pled guilty because they were looking at huge amount of potential penitentiary time. And they what they do? Well, Section 1001, they lied to an FBI agent. They didn't know. They didn't know they lied, but they lied. And they and then but they when they charge them, you're you're under the gun. What are you going to do? And um, so this free speech on campus helps protect the students. Helps protect the American public, and we need it. We need it bad. And if you can't have an open dialogue on campuses across this country, where can you have an open dialogue? Right. Meaning, right. Universities are supposed to be the forum in which we discuss ideas, even bad ideas. How do we determine their bad ideas? Only after discussing them. That's the point. But you should literally see leftists. I saw an article from some leftist at Harvard. It's almost redundant, right? Where she was saying, well, there is academic freedom. By the way, folks, academic freedom is just another term for free speech, but that which applies to academics. Okay. You know, it's just a, we have a lot of synonyms in this language. English language is quite, the English language is quite rich with synonyms. So she was saying, well, academic is free, freedom is limited only to things that are correct and, and just and proper. Wait, okay. Who's the one that determines that? Oh, well, I am, of course, she says. Oh, really? We call that the speech police. And I don't need some leftist telling me what is legitimate speech and what's illegitimate speech, because I can tell you what's on their list of illegitimate speech. You support Trump? Illegitimate. You support traditional marriage? Illegitimate. All of these conservative notions, automatically illegitimate when it comes to the left. That's the hypocrisy of the left. Their definition of free speech is speech that they agree with. And I started the show this morning saying, well, we conservatives need to understand that free speech covers things we don't like, like flag burning. And the problem is the left defines it out. They go, oh, no, no, no. We believe in free speech for all speech except the stuff we don't like because the stuff we don't like, that's not speech. Wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> they just define it away. They just, well, that's not speech. Yeah, but I just said the words. Yeah, yeah. But even though you're saying the words, say the leftists, of course, those aren't words. Those are assaults, you see, Chris. You're assaulting me with those words. So no longer is that speech. That's the bizarro world that we live in today where they literally say, words aren't words, ups, down, left is right, black is white. Yep, It's a joke. It's a joke. And that's why, if we want to be true conservatives, we need to be committed to the notion of free speech throughout. We need to say, yes, free speech protects the speech that we like, and of course it 
protects a speech that we don't like. And if you're not willing to say that, you're not a true committed conservative. All Sorry. right, y'all. Let's let's continue this conversation into the next segment. Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett are your resident legal experts. They are filling in for Dave on the Dave Ellswick Show as he is taking some holiday time off. Their opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Bowen School of Law which is where Robert Steinbach is a law professor. We'll be right back on The Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. This is The Dave Ellswick Show, and as you know, I am Robert Steinbach filling in for Dave this Thursday morning. As usual, we have on the line our good friend, Chris Corbett, attorney, professional engineer, and likely candidate uh, for the state legislature come this next session. And as we talked about the other day on the show, Chris, <clears throat> we were uh, debating, discussing, evaluating whether you should run for state Senate versus state rep up there from the Conway area. Uh, and we, uh, you, are, I like to say we, because I use the Royal we, but of course this is a choice of yours and, and your family. Uh, to decide whether you're going to run for Senate or state legislature. And I have at least advised on the fact that there is some value. Uh, This is not dispositive, but I think there is some value for you running for the state House position uh, while the excellent state House rep up there right now, Spencer Hawks, runs for the Senate position. And I say this simply to suggest the possibility that effectively, not literally, but effectively, the two of you run on a ticket together and say to the people up there in the Conway and greater area, hey, folks, you're getting a package deal of outstanding conservatives. And that's the key. Too often we see conservatives undercutting each other and we need to be each other working to bring about more conservative values in the Arkansas state legislature. And so that's one possibility. That doesn't mean that's the one you're going to decide on. Uh, One can have a fair race amongst good people and you could compete for the Senate position. Uh, But one option is for you to run for the state house. And we'll see. We'll see what you decide. Obviously, you haven't made a decision yet, but I I think we're getting close to the position that you are uh, going to run. uh, And uh, hopefully soon you'll uh, confirm that decision first and foremost here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, and in fact, on the Dave Ellswick show. Uh, So uh, I, I hope that you do run. Uh, I think you're moving in that direction, and I think it will be a great thing for the people of Arkansas across this state. So I just want to put that out Thanks, there. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, how did you know we, we have an elected, we have an elected official on the line? Al, oh, terrific. oh, terrific. Kim, welcome to the show. How are you? Good morning, Robert. Doing great. Happy New Year to you. To you, too. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Kim, we were talking before the break about something that I know uh, that interests you and that you have a strong commitment to, and that's the First Amendment. Of course, you had proposed in the last session a very simple bill. That's a compliment, by the way. We don't need complicated laws. A very simple bill that says government employees on their free time are entitled to post on Facebook, etc., their personal views without being subject 
to being fired. And of course, we have certain exclusions for constitutional offices, political positions, etc. But if you're a mid-level bureaucrat somewhere in the state government, local government, you should be free to post stuff like, oh, I happen to support uh, conservative values. Oh, I happen to support traditional marriage without getting fired by some leftist mid-level bureaucrat. So why don't we talk a little bit about your broad views on free speech and how important that is, particularly for conservatives? You know, one of the things about uh, free speech is that you have to allow the knife to cut both ways. And if we're going to do something that protects the conservative that wants to post their comments, then we also have to be tolerant enough if we're conservative to allow the other folks that maybe have a more liberal mindset to do the same thing. So that's that's the one key thing about the First Amendment I think people need to realize is that it you know, it it allows people to express their opinions on either side of the line. So it's not an intent to choke down one side or the other, but just to make sure that everybody's voices get heard. And I think that should be the driving intent behind anything that we do dealing with the First Amendment. It's such a wonderful point, uh, Kim. And the the key there, you used one word, which I will highlight, tolerance. Tolerance. And why do I highlight that word? It's because the left routinely scapegoats conservatives. Well, you're intolerant, you say. Well, I'm intolerant. Why am I intolerant? Well, you believe in traditional marriage. Well, I believe in traditional marriage because my religious beliefs believe in traditional marriage. I don't have anything against someone who wants to uh, engage in some other relationship in terms of that's their belief system. They're entitled to believe it, but I don't believe it. So am I not entitled to believe something that you that you don't believe in, Mr. Leftist? And the leftists don't seem to understand that that is the archetype of intolerance, that the left is intolerant of traditional values, values that are founded in the Bible. And so, yes, conservatives often believe in traditional marriage. Some don't. I mean, or some are open to other positions. So be it. But I am the first to defend a conservative's right to say, my view of marriage is what we call traditional marriage. And if you have a different view, obviously you can have that view in your head, but I'm going to propose legislation that supports the traditional view, and you're going to, going to propose legislation that supports another view, and we'll fight it out in the Democratic field. Of course, Democratic being small d. All right, y'all, let's continue this conversation into the next segment. Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett are here filling in for Dave Ellswick as he's on vacation right now. We are also joined by State Senator Kim Hammer. We will be right back. Here is Rush Limbaugh on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is the Dave Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave this Thursday morning. We have on the air with us two fantastic individuals, Chris Corbett, professional engineer and attorney, and state senator Kim Hammer. And we're talking with Senator Hammer right now about free speech and important notions of protecting the rights of everyone. And that's one of the things that I value about Senator Hammer is that he represents all Arkansans, well, of course, those in his district in particular, but he's not about representing those on the right or the left. 
he pursues conservative values, but he believes in protecting everyone. And that's true. what true conservatives do. They protect the interests of all people. <clears throat> the leftists seem overwhelmingly focused on protecting only leftists. We were talking about uh, a variety of issues. Uh, we've got Second Amendment. Uh, that is that are gun rights. We talked about free speech on campus. Kim, you were one of the lead uh, proponents, the lead sponsors last time of the free speech on campus bill, which, of course, passed with overwhelming support. I've already spoken with other state senators and you about looking over that bill to see if there is any room to further enhance that. Uh, uh, so I don't want to sort of put you on the spot yet before we've completed that analysis on that. But what I want to ask you more broadly, what is your attitude about free speech on campus in particular, given the importance of academia in molding the minds of the young? Sure. And let me start off by saying this, you know, in areas like free speech on campus or, you know, like trying to uh, hold the media accountable for their actions, even though they are afforded rights under the First Amendment, they also have some responsibilities under the First Amendment, too. Um, you know, anytime that you take on a battle like this and you're trying to regain ground that you've lost or you're trying to get ground in order to take you to the back, you know, in the right direction, uh, it can be a, it can be a long game, not a short game. Every once in a while you score a victory that has some immediate results and impact, but, you know, for the most part, it's it's a process of doing it over a period of time, kind of like pro-life. You know, we were just recognized as the number one pro-life state in the nation. And that came, you know, probably as a result of a 10 to 20 year battle in the legislature. So, you know, people need to understand that as long as we're making effort and moving in the positive direction, gaining ground a little at a time, ultimately we will get there as long as we keep the right people in office that are going to, you know, be of like-mindedness free speech on campus, no exception, um, gained some ground last time. Uh, but I think, you know, as you hear reports back from um, students that have their opinions, um, you know, uh, or their, their free speech violated, maybe in the classroom because a professor doesn't agree with their uh, position, either conservative or liberally, want it, it can happen both ways. I think that's where we need to turn some attention is to make sure that students uh, who are paying, you know, that university and subsequently those professors having their salaries paid by those students, they are the customers. Um, I think that's where we need to, you know, focus some attention to make sure that that uh, no, no professor in any institution is utilizing the power of their position to quiet the voice of their students if they have a different opinion other than that of the professor or the stated policy of the university. It's such a wonderful, uh, and I mean this, sort of aware notion. You know, the left always likes to say they're woke, they're aware. But it's conservatives who are aware, aware of the fact that the left has a bubble of reality and they're unwilling to allow discourse from those that disagree with them. And this is as you say, the long game. We've got to continue to fight for such notions. And you aptly also bring up an important point about responsibility of the press. You know, it's one thing to make a small mistake here or a small mistake there. But I recently watched both the movie 
about Richard Jewell, and then there was a Netflix series. I think it was actually taken from ABC or something like that, uh, a series about Richard Jewell and the guy that did the bombing at the Atlanta Olympics. And it's really remarkable when we see fake news. It's a term sort of developed by President Trump, but a term that applies, applies far more broadly. Richard Jewell was a good man who saved lives, and the press made him out by the way, in somewhat conjunction with some essentially corrupt FBI agents, made him out to be the bad guy for a long time. And that was really some awful behavior. So we need to recognize that there is some responsibility for the press and others as well. And we can't let them off the hook when they are just making it up. Uh, And so you have been Uh, uh, vigilant on that point as well, and I applaud you on that. Uh, Would you like to say anything more on on that topic, by the way? Well, the only thing I might say is this this goes back to where we started our conversation earlier, and that is that's the challenge of free speech. You have to allow the unpleasant things to be said, but I think that comes back to what are you willing to do to be an example or to be a louder voice in order to make sure that the truth is heard. And then it's up to the individual to decide what they want to believe, and they have to live with the consequences of what they choose to believe. If you want to believe what the liberal left is promoting, well, well, hang on. You're going to get everything that comes with it. If you want to choose to believe what the conservative right believes, then you're going to get, you know, you're going to get a blessing because of it, because it aligns with what I think the Constitution had in mind. The question is, we, we don't need to limit the ability for free speech in any capacity in order to get all those ideas out there and expressed. But then we have a responsibility as a conservative right to make sure that people understand the benefit and the values of choosing to go right instead of liberal left. Sometimes you got to step back or you don't have any choice, kind of like with the fraud that's going on in the elections of uh, President Trump and everything that's occurring there. Um, And you have to take corrective action and just try to minimize damage in the meantime. And I'm afraid that's the direction we're heading. but to the point of, of free speech, free speech, I think, also has to have that degree of accountability that if you do something under free speech, which presents harm to somebody else because of your actions, that's that's the tight line. That's the tight wire we've got to walk as far as how much do you allow people to have free speech, but hold them accountable if in their act of free speech, it harms or hurts somebody else and there's no checks and balances. and. And that is always a difficult task to achieve that without going over the line. Indeed, it's such a it's such a wonderful statement of such core conservative principles. And that is it draws this distinction implicitly between opinion and fact. And if the media comes out and says Richard Jewell was the bomber when he, in fact, was the hero, that's incorrect fact. And they need to be responsible. But if we say, well, we believe in traditional marriage or we don't believe or or the left says we don't believe in traditional marriage, that's opinion. And each side is entitled to their view. And that's this critical distinction that we must protect. We must protect the fact that you're entitled to any view you want, even if we think it's a terrible view, even we, if we think it's a bad view, even if we think it's an immoral view, and vice versa. The left 
has to allow us to have our views, even if they think our views are bad, immoral, whatever they want to call them. But we're not entitled to our yeah. own facts. facts well, he, he brings up a Go ahead, Chris. He, it, Senator uh, Kim, you bring up such a great point, and and the reason it's more important now is because you don't have to have uh, a million dollar printing press and barrels of ink to put something out there for people to read. Um, people can people can throw stuff out there, and it's, everybody can read. Well, the whole world. That is such an important point that Chris you raised, yeah. which is that it used to be that the media controlled what people heard. Now we're all the media. Right. And that's right. why, Kim, your bill about allowing government employees to go home and say what they want to say on Facebook without being punished is so critical because now we all have some ability to communicate, but only if we're not punished by a government that may want to constrain what we're saying. And to be clear, when I say a government, I really mean some mid-level, often leftist bureaucrat that wants to say, you can't say on your Facebook post that you're for traditional marriage. We have actual examples of these things happening. I think there was a sheriff in some county, not in Arkansas necessarily, <clears throat> who, uh, whose wife put something on Facebook and the sheriff uh, got in trouble uh, because th- some mid-level bureaucrat didn't like what he was, uh, his wife was saying, no less. And that's what we need to be ever vigilant in because when it comes to this kind of speech, it's the, it are, it is, it is, I think, the conservatives who are under attack far more than the leftists, because the leftists, unfortunately, are embedded in the levers of power in academia, in the mid-level bureaucracy throughout state and local government. Uh, and so we need to ensure that these rights don't only exist on paper, but they are enforceable. And that's why when we look at the bill's that Senator Hammer has proposed over time, in the long game, as he says, we see this effort to continually improve the situation uh, in which we are. Um, Kim, what what do you see as coming up as important this coming legislative session? Just like any other legislative session, uh, there's some good things you want to get behind. There's some bad things you want to get stopped. And uh, that's, you know, everybody thinks that it's going down and passing bills when in reality, a lot of it is uh, stopping bills from going through that don't need to go through. And so uh, obviously the one at, you know, top of a lot of people's list is regarding the hate crime legislation. Um, You know, the feedback I get from my constituents and uh, just people, you know, that kind of keep their ear to the, to the stone is that, you know, we don't, we don't need it. So that'll be a, that'll probably be a contentious battle there. Uh, if it, you know, goes forward to get filed, um, got the, I've got a bill with uh, representative Gazaway, uh, dealing with the emergency powers, uh, of the administrative branch. It's, it's not going to be, you know, an attack bill. It's, it's really taking what we've learned over the last nine months and are still learning for that matter. Um, and looking, to the future to see what can we do different to make sure that the legislative branch has uh, leverage points where we have uh, weigh in and we can have the authority to do some things uh, such as terminate the emergency or selectively pick apart what the emergency covers. Um, right now we're, you know, we're having to be reactive around the sidelines and uh, we think that the legislative branch needs to be more involved in the process whenever 
uh, a declaration of emergency is declared and it affects a statewide level. Um, and so I've got a bill, you know, prepared to do that. Some of the conservative ones we've talked about, you know, are going to be brought back up for consideration. Um, one positive thing as a result of the emergency powers is there's a lot of things that some of us been said, been saying could be done all along. Uh, being told by the other side, no, you can't do it. And all of a sudden, under the emergency powers, we're able to do things that uh, um, we couldn't have done otherwise, With a, specifically with regard to medical field. And that's big because uh, we need to get off being number 4749, and we need every tool in the toolbox we can to, you know, make access to care greater and um, treatment, you know, for disease better. And so there's some positive things coming out of that. Um you know, it's going to be a pretty aggressive session because we're going to be trying to get, you know, get in and out as quick as we can so we don't have an outbreak of COVID among the legislative branch or our employees or anybody coming in there. So, you know, we're going to be pretty aggressive about getting in there, getting to work and, and trying to get everybody's business taken care of as quickly as we can. Um, I'll stop there and ask if that kind of covers your, your question. Well, it's fantastic. Why don't we do this? We're going to hold you over for one more segment. I know you're real busy, but we'll keep you uh, till the the um, top of the hour. So, Heidi, why don't we take a break, and then we'll come back and we'll focus in on one or two of the issues that Senator Kim Hammer has brought up for this coming legislative session. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave. On the line with us for only another four minutes or so is State Senator Kim Hammer. So, Kim, first I'd like to thank you for joining us here on the show, and I would like to remind listeners that you have a show on 101.1 FM, The Answer, on Saturday. It starts. At, is it at noon that your show generally starts at? Noon to 1 o'clock. We go from noon to Terrific. 1. Terrific. So, so tune Appreciate in then to more... Absolutely. Tune in more to hear more from State Senator Kim Hammer. Uh, And so in the few minutes that we have left, we are talking about a significant amount of legislation that we are going to try. I mean, we as conservatives are going to try to pass as well as some of the legislation that we think is harmful to our Kansans that we are going to try to stop. So why don't you uh, take uh, one or two of the most salient ones and, 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 Tell us about that in the few minutes we have left. We may not get to complete it. Sure. Uh, I think one thing that would probably be most relevant to people because it's in the news every day is the matter of elections. And when we see what's happened out in Georgia and other states, um, you know, wisdom on the part of the administrative branch, legislative branch, Secretary of State's office here in Arkansas that we did not allow uh, the mail ballots that other states have done, which we now know has created corruption and fraud. Um, so we will be looking at election laws, and there are uh, some indicators that would show that some of that attitude in Georgia and Detroit are alive and well here in the state of Arkansas. And so we're going to uh, have some legislation that's going to do some scalpel surgery to make sure that uh, that doesn't get any headway and make sure that our you know election process is transparent, fair, and um, you know everything that our Kansans expect will be uh, protected in the way of legislation that holds people accountable in the election process. So, um, you know, we've got some ongoing litigation that would reflect that there's been some issues. We've got some evidence and reports of some other things. And so we're, we're going to nip it in the bud as, you know, Barney or whoever used to say that we're going to nip it, nip it, nip it, and get some legislation addressed to, you know, take care of that. 
um, some of the other things. We just got some, you know, some random things that I'm going to be working on. Um, you know, dealing some with the amount of money that's spent by um, uh, political offices, where that funding stream has come either through settlements or has come through. Uh, tax-related things. I think, you know, one thing people have said to some of us is, you know, we want transparency when it comes to some of the advertising that's on TV as far as identifying the funding source for it or um, taking a look at where some of the money's coming from and how it's being spent and is it, you know, should it be brought before the legislature for uh, appropriation. And so we've got, uh, you know, we've got some areas that we're looking at in there. Um, got another bill. We got some state employees that are not able to take their full amount of time off when they work um, because of high turnover rates in some agencies. They go out and they work. Uh, they don't get the full benefit of the PTO time that they build up. They lose it at the end of the year. Uh, personally, I don't think that's right. I think that you know if you work an hour, you got to get paid for an hour, and if you get an hour of PTO time, you got to get an hour of PTO time, and it shouldn't be you know put into a, even though it's a good thing, a catastrophic bank to be used by other people that have less fortunate situations occur at the end of the day. If, you know, if you're asked to work, you can't take off from working. I think you need to be paid for the time that you put in. And so we're looking at that. Um, Representative Wooten and I, uh, he's the lead on this. We're actually looking at the uh, budgeted, unbudgeted positions that are carried on the books by the state of Arkansas, and we're trying to look at what we can do to trim back some of those numbers without any adverse effects. And so we're taking a look at the number of the uh, unbudgeted and budgeted positions that are, you know, on the uh, are held by the various agencies. So, All I mean, right. State Senator, thank you so much for joining us. You can catch the Kim Hammer Show every Saturday from noon to 1 p.m. We'll be back in the 6 p.m. hour tonight uh, for the final hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. Coming up next is Financial Issues Live on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Show and I am Robert Steinbach filling in for Dave on this Thursday evening. As you know, we record this show in the morning. Uh, we had on the show this morning the outstanding State Senator Kim Hammer, and we'd like to thank him again for joining us. Remember, folks, you can hear Kim Hammer, Kim Hammer, excuse me, every Saturday at noon to one here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, and he does an outstanding job talking about topics of concern to our Kansans. So please tune in for that. We have still on the line with us, I say still, meaning carrying over from the morning show, our great friend, Chris Corbett, who's an attorney, who's a professional engineer, and who will be running, as far as I'm concerned, he has yet to announce, folks, who will be running (laughs) for state office, if I have anything to say about it, come this very next legislative session. We need 
frankly, some more attorneys in the legislature, Chris, uh, and you are an outstanding attorney. Uh, we have a hand, only a small handful of attorneys. I don't think the legislature should be entirely attorneys. I think too much of a good thing uh, is a real problem. But we don't have enough because I know those few attorneys in the legislature uh, often have other legislators come up to them and say, well, somebody's telling me such and such or so and so about the law, and I just want to check with you. And that's why it's good to have sort of peppered throughout the legislature a number of good conservative attorneys. So Hopefully we will get you in there and you can serve that adjunct function for our fellow conservatives. Chris, let's Thanks, talk Rob. about Thank you for the introduction. Oh, it's my pleasure. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. Um, <laughs> let's talk about, if we can, uh, some important topics. And here's one topic that has struck me. I have posted on Twitter from time to time recently about it. Uh, incidentally, you can find me on Twitter at, at Rob Steinbuck. R-O-B-S-T-E-I-N-B-U-C-H, and I post from time to time. Uh, We've now found in two different states this more contagious version of the coronavirus coming out of England. You know what I said when I heard that there was a more contagious version of the coronavirus out of England? Shut down all travel to and from England. Shut it all down. And they haven't done it, Chris. They haven't done what's going on. Why is this such a difficult thing to do? Trump did it uh, regarding China, albeit there were some holes in that as well, but not as much as there is now regarding England. Why can't we just shut it down? Why is it that there is always this inherent lag? And by the way, when we're speaking about lag, how is it that England approved the two vaccines that we're using here in the States ahead of the United States? And at least one of those comes from the United States. What does that say about the state of our bureaucracy, Chris? Yeah. It just, they move so slow and it's such a double standard, Rob. I got a friend in Colorado and he was just telling me they, they re-shut down the restaurants in Colorado. You can't go out to eat. You can't make the decision for yourself to, to take on the risk to go out to eat, but you can go to a gym and breathe heavily and work out and, um, uh, uh, work out in a, in a room full of 20 people on bicycles. Come on, and to highlight, man. Chris, Chris, to highlight, they, they shut down going to a restaurant, but they don't shut down people coming in from England. Well, if you're going to shut exactly. something down, why don't you shut down people coming in from England where we know we have a more virulent strain of the virus, a more transmissible strain of the virus? Shut her down. What's going right. on? I don't know. They got to do, they do something, Robin. And this this new strain is serious, right? We don't know if it absolutely the existing vaccine works. Um, apparently, it's there's thousands of cases, um, and they're not doing anything about it. So we have to make we have to make some waves, Rob. Right, and and so we, we're shutting down restaurants. We're shutting down. Um, bars. We're not shutting down casinos for some reason in Arkansas. Uh, We're having meetings on what should be shut down that aren't open to the public. The public are being closed out of those meetings. Explain to me why. You know, I'm an advocate for public transparency. I'm an advocate, excuse me, for the Freedom of Information Act. And I'm hearing about meetings being shut down from the public. How is that a good idea? Well, we need efficiency. Uh, You know, efficiency is the first step to alleged efficiency, by the way. Claims of efficiency. When you're shutting out the public, 
that's when you start to worry about government overreach. So I'm very concerned about a failure of transparency for the government. It's really a problem. What are your thoughts? Uh, transparency is so big, Rob. We've talked about it time and time again, and, and people don't realize how big of an issue this is until they have a problem they need addressed. You get to know what your government is doing. Send a simple FOIA request. Email me. I'll give you the form and um, see what your government's doing with your money. Look at their emails. Get their text messages. It's, it's a great tool, Rob, and I don't know what I would do without it. You know, Kim Hammer had raised with me an important question that, that we should discuss uh, now, and that is there was a very good article, I say that somewhat surprised given the state of mainstream media, in the New York Times detailing the timeline how China hid the outbreak of the coronavirus. And that's doubly important because China was also the source a decade or so ago of SARS, uh, another virus, and mirrors, mares, I don't know how you pronounce it, another virus. And so we have all of these viruses coming from China. They know that they can spread around the world. Those uh, killed only far fewer people because they weren't as deadly. They were, say, closer to the common cold than they are to the deadliness of the current COVID. But that's just luck. That's just chance. They are well familiar with how these viruses grow and break out of China. And they come from China. Three serious viruses all coming from China. They were well aware of it and they hid it. And the New York Times points out if they had released the information when they first knew about it, we would have reduced the number of people who got the virus and the number of people who died by something like 75, 85, maybe 95 percent. These are drastic numbers. And China needs to be held accountable for these events. And the press has sort of marginally held them to account. And I don't know whether we can hold them accountable through lawsuits. I don't know whether we can hold them accountable through sanctions, but something needs to be done about this. What are your thoughts? Oh, man, we've got to try, Rob. We've got to try. And I think the way to do it is you file a lawsuit here in your state court or federal court. And 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 it's not outrageous. Um, Foreign countries have been sued and um, judgments have been had. Now, it gets into whether we can collect on the judgment, right? And here's my, my, my thoughts on collection is China owns companies in the United States. The, the country of China owns United States companies. The country of China imports. We, we import millions, billions of dollars of their products. There's ways that we could, we could make to collect uh, foreign judgments on China. If they've done something wrong and hurt American citizens, there needs to be some sort of uh, uh, payback, some sort of retribution, some sort of way to hold them accountable for damaging United States citizens. I mean, for, for crying out loud, Rob, they're putting journalists in jail over there for reporting uh, about this Wuhan virus, this coronavirus, and and uh, yeah, they don't they don't have the same values that we do, but yet um, they get treated fairly in our courts. Uh, it's it's uh, we've got to be able to do something, Rob. And I think filing lawsuits is the way to do it. 
Well, I think you highlight such an important point, and that is that we all need to be involved in ensuring that the United States and Arkansas, as part thereof, needless to say, is not taken advantage of on the world stage. And frankly, uh, the United States and the rest of the world has been duped has been duped by the behavior of China relative to the coronavirus. It's unfair. Look, here's what they can do. They can come forward and say, we were wrong. We were wrong. Yeah. Yeah, they they won't do it. They've had their hands slapped so many times, Rob. They've they've been caught cheating in the Olympics. You know, they're cheaters. And they do it with impunity. It's it's really uh, true, and it's really um, unfortunate that this has happened year upon year. And we've prior to the Trump administration, we saw it with Democrat and Republican alike. Uh, this sort of favored nation status for China, and yes. Joe Biden was part of it. And I am unfortunately not optimistic that he's not going to back going to go back to his old ways when he was part of the Obama administration, when he was a senator, in which China got special favors. They're taking advantage right. of us, and they're getting special favors at the same time. And it's really uh, highly unfortunate. Chris, we need to be vigilant when it comes to foreign actors. We need to be vigilant when it comes to protecting Americans from a virus, from abuses economically, from abuses militarily. We had on the show the other day Congressman French Hill, and he pointed out that China is working through the um, uh, World Bank, I believe it was, to give out loans to poor countries, not because they want to give out a loan, not because they want to get the money back, you know, with a, get the money back with some interest. No, they are giving out loans in a predatory fashion with the hope that the small, poor country will not pay back the loan. Have you ever heard of that? Someone gives out money oh, with yeah. the hope of a default, with the hope of a foreclosure. But here's why. Because they're giving out loans to poor countries with key geographic strategic locations that they are demanding China is as collateral for those loans. And then they put in onerous conditions on those loans and then intentionally foreclose on those loans. And all of a sudden China has a military base in this country. China has a military base in that country. China has a military base (laughs) at the Panama canal. Oh, listen, we didn't allow Russia to put, nuclear weapons in Cuba, and we shouldn't allow China to have a military base on our southern border, essentially, I realize there's some countries between it, uh, at the Panama Canal. No dice. Right. No dice. Yeah. This, All this, right. This, let's, this continue people... this, let's continue this conversation into the next segment. We need to take a break. Uh, you are listening to the Dave Ellswick Show, the 6 p.m. hour on New Year's Eve. Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett are the show's resident legal experts. We will hear f- more from them coming up on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. This is the Dave Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave here this Thursday evening. We have on the line, as we usually do, Chris Corbett, attorney, uh, professional engineer, likely candidate, I hope, for state office 
this coming legislative session, the, the next one, that is. Uh, Chris, we were talking about a number of issues uh, of world importance, and uh, I want to touch on an, another issue that I saw, and it's really quite funny. Uh, and in it, the the author in the New York Times, it's an opinion piece, don't get me wrong, uh, um, said that, well, you see, Joe Biden, when he ran for president way back in, I think it was 1988, think about how long, by the way, this guy had been running for president. And he said uh, in a speech, he co-opted a line from a, a British politician. And he co-opted the history of the British politician and pretended that it was his and then he got called out on it, and then he sort of got uh, shoved out of the race because he was not credible. And this opinion writer for the New York Times says, oh, it was really just kind of a silly incident. Now, when President Trump says something that turns out, listen, turns out to be uh, incorrect, meaning the president says stuff incorrect. I've said stuff that's incorrect. You've said stuff that's incorrect. Sure. They call him a liar. Yeah. Meaning, oh, well, he knew it was false. It must have been false. He's trying to uh, perpetrate a lie upon you. But all they do is bend over backwards for Joe Biden, making excuses for Joe Biden. There is such a double standard in the media for when it comes to Trump versus Joe Biden. What are your thoughts on that? This is so obvious. And we were talking about China and the year of the rat. And um, what's interesting is Biden had a foundation. He shut it down when he uh, started his campaign for the United States presidency. What's there? We need to see that. Um, this, this money from China, this, uh, this notion that there's this double standard in the media, it's, it's, it's obvious. And it's crazy. And it's really, it's really hurting the country because we want – to be the best that we can be. And if you've been, if you're stifling ideas, if you're publicly shaming somebody because they have a, a conservative idea, it's it's just it's just the time it's got to stop. It's enough is enough. And we see it time and time again. Uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how the media treats Biden um in in his uh his new role come January twentieth on this New Year's Day we're you know, we're gonna be we're gonna be riding with Biden, Rob. We're gonna be riding with Biden. <laughs> well, you're right on the money, Chris. Needless to say, meaning that is the press going to do what they're supposed to do, which is critically analyze what any politician does. I've got no problem yeah. if they look into what President Trump said and said, well, here's where he's correct, here's where he's mistaken, and this is what has happened, and this is what is likely to happen. These are factual analyses. But are we going to see that when it comes to Biden? Because I have never seen in my lifetime a press so out of control when it comes to simply evaluating truth versus non-truth for the Democrats versus the Republicans. The double standard. They make excuses. You know, President Trump has said some things and he said, well, I was making a joke. And they're like, well, President Trump said this. And he goes, uh, I was making a joke. And then I've yeah. seen them insert in for Biden when there's even no evidence that he was making a joke. Well, clearly uh, President-elect Biden was saying this in jest, meaning they use exactly the opposite locution for Biden than they do for Trump because they're outwardly biased, and it's really remarkable. And 
we have to push back and hold the press to account in the following sense. If the media is not going to be seriously looking at facts and evaluating them dispassionately, objectively, then listen, I don't watch CNN anymore. I still read the New York Times, I told you, because unfortunately, I'm still hooked into them. But at some point, I suspect that's going to change. But it has become the time in which the media has become so bifurcated that you can't rely on them presenting objective facts. Jake Tapper, who I used to think was at least a moderately legitimate journalist, he's no longer the case. I'm sorry to say it. I'm sorry to say it. But he says such things that are so imbued with political bias that I can no longer tolerate watching him. That doesn't mean everything he says is that way. In fact, it's not. That's really the the sad part about it. So much of what Jake Tapper has done and continues to do is good reporting. But I don't want to have to sit there and filter out all of the political bias that he's now infusing in the news. It's really inappropriate and it's unfortunate. What do you do when you read media? How how are you able to filter you know, out it's, the bias? It's really, it's it's really tough, and I almost want it. I almost feel like the media needs some sort of disclaimer, like um, stockbrokers give when they say, you know, they're they're touting a stock and they say whether they own it or not. I wish um, we could come up with some sort of uh, standard for journalists that says, hey. I'm reporting an opinion here. I'm an opinion columnist versus, hey, I'm a reporter, and I'm reporting the facts, and you decide. That distinction has become so muddied, you don't know whether what they're reporting is true or not. An opinion may not be true. And um, it sounds like what you're stating here is it's, it gets mixed. It gets mixed up, and we don't know. Um, and I, I try to get a lot of my news not off video and newscast. I read it. I read um, a lot of the uh, uh, news reports that I get. So you know the source, right? Exactly. You know exactly where it's coming from, and then you can critically assess whether it's legitimate or illegitimate. I'll say this, by the way. I remain very impressed, uh, on the whole, by the Democrat Gazette. That is a solid local newspaper. Of course, it has national and international news as well. And I remain very impressed with them. They have a a lot of good reporters over there. And for the most part, they, unlike, for example, the New York Times, do a good job of presenting the facts. And so I've got to give credit where credit is due. We're lucky to have that as our state paper of record, so to speak. Don't you think? Yeah, that's fan- oh, fantastic point. Yeah, especially when they, they comment on lawsuits, they report the facts. And it's, it's yeah, it's a great, it's a great paper. It really is. It really is. All right, y'all, mm-hmm. let's, oh, let's yep. take a break. Uh, we're just uh, getting up to uh, the news that we need to get to. Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett are your uh, fill-ins for Dave Ellswick, as Dave Ellswick is taking some holiday time off. Their opinions are theirs and theirs alone, and Robert Steinbach's opinion does not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of UA Litterock, where he is a law professor at the Bowen School of Law. We will be right back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is the Dave Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave this Thursday evening. Welcome to the show, and of course, we have Chris Corbett on the line. Chris, you are, as you well know, an attorney, a professional engineer, 
and likely a candidate, as I say, for the state legislature this next election cycle. Chris, what do you think we should be doing in this state to further push our goal of ensuring that we have conservative values represented in our laws. Right now, I think we've done a good job, as Kim Hammer said on the morning show, of playing a long game and getting some legislative, excuse me, some legislation passed and staying the course for other legislation. What's on the top of your wish list for the future? What a great question, Rob. In this Chinese year of the rat, let's move on to the new year and new beginnings. And in doing that, Dave, I mean, Dave's not here, but in doing that, Rob, we have to be vigilant. Senator Kim Hanner was on the line. We had, you've had Dan Sullivan on the line. What they're talking about is not only protecting free speech, but being on guard and being defensive of some of these wacky ideas that these leftists are putting out there. And, 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 be on guard for the rhinos, Republican in name only. And we watch some of these things get morphed into uh, what they think is a Republican idea, a conservative idea, but in, it's, it's disguised in a way to oppress the people. It's disguised in a way to prohibit your speech or to potentially fine you per day or uh, prevent you from, uh, I don't know, or scare you into taking a plea bargain with an increased amount of time if you're charged with a crime. I'm talking about specifically this hate crime bill. Um, we've already got laws on the books out there. We have to be defensive um, and see these things for what they are. There's agendas behind these things, and they're to limit our rights, to limit our um, ability to carry a, a right to bear arms, to limit our free speech. And um, you're on top of it. Every time, Rob, and I think it's a great question. So this new year, we're going to be watching out for these uh, these disguised liberal agendas that, they, that we need the government to protect us. We don't need the government to protect us. Come on. There's an article Bob Ballinger uh, sent out, uh, you know, sort of repeated a tweet from somebody else. And there's an article. It doesn't, I can't exactly see where it is. And it says the worst legislature of ever. But the picture is of Bob Ballinger. Uh, and it says anti-women, anti-poor, anti-black, anti-people, anti-old-style Republicans by er- Ernest uh, Dumbass. No, Dumas. Oh, did I say that wrong? <laughs> uh, that might have been a Freudian slip, no doubt. Um, but here's what's interesting, uh, Chris. Notice the tactic of the left. Uh, anti-women, in other words, misogynist. Anti-poor, right. I don't know what the, what the word for it. Anti-black would be racist. Anti-people, you hate all people. Anti-Ostile Republic. So this is always the claim of the left. If they don't like what you're doing, you're an ist. You're a racist, you're a fascist, you're this, you're that. They call you names. And good elected officials like Bob Ballinger, you know what he says? Bring it on. Bring it on, baby. Yeah, you want to call me names? You call me names all day. You know what I'm going to do? I'm yep. going to pass laws. While you're out there screaming and huffing and puffing and blowing smoke, I'm going to be passing laws that improve the lives of our Kansans. Remember, Bob right. Ballinger was the lead, uh, co-lead sponsor of the bill for free speech on campus. So the anti 
anti, you want to talk about anti, the left is anti-free speech. Bob Ballinger is fighting every day for your free speech, and people like these leftists are anti-free speech, and all they want to do is go around and quash speech even more. How? First they do is they want to build up a bunch of laws like, oh, that's hate speech, and then they want to have campuses in which conservatives can't speak, and then they want to try to scare conservatives by calling them, oh, you're a racist, you're a this, you're an ist, you're an ist. And you know what Bob Ballinger says? Bring it on, baby! Baby, bring it on! <laughs> because that's what is the... They, they refer to the new Republican. Amen, brother. I need some new Republicans. You know what a new Republican that's is? Right. It's an old Republican with a spine. That's what a new Republican is. <laughs> what do you say about that? That's right. That's right, Rob. And he's got, he's got the guts to stand up and say what he thinks. And he's going to debate him. You know, don't attack him personally. Go to this old ad hominem argument and attack him and make fun of him. Come on. Come with some good ideas. Come with some... some, some logic, um, not with false innuendos and scare tactics. That's exactly right. This is this is the tactic of the left. They want to shut down your ability. You know, we started the show this morning about this topic, and we're going to end the show this evening with the same topic. The left wants to shut down your ability to think things, to say things, and to have right. convictions. And they do that yep. by saying certain speech is not speech. Wait, what? They, they, they want to tell you, you're not allowed to think something. I've said for decades now, you're allowed to think whatever you want. It doesn't mean you can act on all of those thoughts. But you're always allowed to think what you want to think. But not according to the left. It's about mind control. It's re- and why do you think the left has sort of smartly taken over academia? I'm talking from kindergarten to higher education. It's overtaken by the left. Why? Because they know if they can control what you can think, they can can control what you say, and then they can control what you do, and they create a bunch of leftist robots, uncritical leftist robots. And that's why we need to ensure, for example, that the few, the handful of conservatives that exist in academia are entitled to say conservative thought. And guess what? We got a bill for that. We got a bill for that because what the left has tried to do now is they've tried to redefine this notion of tenure. Tenure basically just says you have a contract for employment. Some people have contracts. Some people are employees at will. Academics generally have contracts. And the contract says you can't be fired for those things that you say or think. Yeah, that's kind of what you want for an academic, right? Particularly a conservative academic. You know, well, but Rob, we're worried about the liberal academics. They say stuff we don't like. Yeah, but the liberal academics ain't firing other liberal academics it's 95 to 99 percent liberal academics they want to fire conservative academics who say conservative ideas remember we talked about this in the past they say oh that's not just a difference of opinion that's wrong that's hate speech that's hate thought so they want to fire those academics and how do they do that they try to change the terms of the contract after the fact they say oh well we can fire you now so Kim yeah. Hammer yeah. and others have a bill like they did last session that says what? Guess what? The terms of that contract, when, when you sign that contract, those to this day are the terms of that contract. Could you imagine if, you, if it was legal to change the terms of the contract after the fact? So you went in and bought 
an F-150, a blue F-150, and they show up with a with an old beater instead. And they said, well, we're still giving yeah. you a car. We just changed the terms yeah. of the contract. Nobody would tolerate right. that. But they want to change the terms <laughs> of the tenure contract specifically for conservatives. So, folks, don't exactly. buy the wrong argument. There are some conservatives that say, well, tenure is a bad idea because it protects a bunch of liberals on campus. No, it don't. No, it don't. If you hear people say that, they don't understand what they're talking about. And they're conservatives who don't understand what they're talking about. Because tenure doesn't protect liberals on campus. You know what protects liberals on campus? Other liberals, other leftists. That's what protects leftists on campus. Tenure protects conservatives on campus. Sure, 20 years ago it protected, or 40 years ago, it protected leftists on campus. Not anymore, because they propagated and they only hired other leftists and from time to time a conservative would sneak in under the radar and now we need to protect those conservatives so if you hear a a conservative say to you i don't like tenure all it does is protect a bunch of liberals on campus you tell them rob steinbuck says you're wrong and rob steinbuck is right He's right. That's what we need to do. We need to ensure that conservatives are protected on campus, and they are not to this day. So we need to ensure that through legislation like that proposed by Kim Hammer, Dan Sullivan, um, Bob Ballinger, who I just mentioned, who's fighting the new conservative values, true conservative values. Conservative values that believe in a freedom of exchange of ideas, even as Kim Hammer said this morning, even the ideas we don't like. Yes, that's what true free speech is about. Yes, that even includes as offensive things such as flag burning, highly offensive and nonetheless protected by notions of free speech. So, yes, you're entitled as a conservative, as am I, to be offended by that activity. But what you're not entitled to do is to say that the leftists can't do it, because then you don't have a true commitment in free speech. Sorry, either you're committed to hearing the bad and good ideas, or you're not committed to free speech. That's how it works. What are your thoughts, Chris? Yeah, you know, you know, a great example of that is I do not agree with someone burning the flag, burning the American flag. I do not agree with that. But as conservatives, we put up with it. I don't agree with taking a knee during uh, uh, sporting events. But, but you know, it, but it's 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 what they want to do, and and it, it may not be speech I like. But I'm not going to go out and call them names and and dog them and threaten their livelihood and publicly shame them. Pick up a rock and throw it through their front door. You know, these are the things that we already have laws on the books for uh, to handle that type of behavior. And and if you're if a, if someone's offended you through their speech, then that may be a personal problem. You might need to dig deep and come up with some logic to to understand what they're saying. Um, not not revert to uh, uh, bordering up your uh, town and and kicking out defunding the police. Some of these outrageous ideas coming from the left need to be called for what they are just stupid it's <laughs> stupid amen amen and you know conservatives historically uh, less so recently were sort of afraid to just call out these really bad ideas uh, and, and now they're doing it 
They're doing it. And that's the key, is that they are yeah. willing to stand up, people like Bob Ballinger, people like Kim Hammer, people like Dan Sullivan, um, uh, people like, uh, oh, they're, you know, I'm, I, I want to rattle off a bit of a list here because I think it's important for oh, it is important. folks. Yeah, it's important for folks to know who some of the great representatives we actually have are. Uh, Alan Clark, senator, who's chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Breanne Davis. Um, Jim Dotson. Um, uh, House Rep. Justin Gonzalez. Uh, Senator uh, uh, Mark Johnson. uh, Representative Mark Lowry. uh, Soon-to-be Representative David Ray. Uh, current representative oh, yeah. Aaron Pilkington. Aaron's a real thinker, by the way. I mean that. I've spoken oh, yeah. to him on a number of occasions. A real thinker. Uh, soon to be State Senator uh, Ben Gilmore. Um, uh, we've got State Senator Trent Garner. And of course, we've got the outstanding, outstanding Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin, who uh, it's our sincere hope will be the next governor. Uh, I'm a strong supporter of Tim's, and we're going to have a real race on our hands uh, between Tim and Sarah. That's really what the race is going to be about. And oh, to yeah. be fair, Sarah's not a bad candidate, but Tim's a better candidate. All right, better, y'all, let's, be continue, let's, yep. let's continue this candidate talk into our final segment of the Dave Ellswick Show. Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett are your resident legal experts. They are discussing all things legally while uh, Dave is on uh, some needed uh, vacation time. So we will be right back for the final segment of the 7 p.m. hour of the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. This is the Dave Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave this Thursday evening. This is the last segment of the show, and we are talking with Chris Corbett, our expert, legal expert, a lawyer, of course, professional engineer, a hopefully likely candidate for legislature come the next legislative session. And I want to talk a little politics with you, Chris. You are a good student of politics, a good observer of what goes on in Arkansas. Chris, in all seriousness, how many generations are Kansan are you? Don't you have like five generations that attended University of Arkansas? That's right. That's right. I got our fifth generations at U of A right now. Corbett. That's amazing. Right. That's amazing. Well, yeah, my grandmother uh, is still alive. She'll be 100. She'll be 100 in a week. God bless Graduate you. of uh, God bless University you. of Arkansas, 1942. <laughs> God bless her. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's truly yeah. wonderful. Um, we were talking before the break about Tim Griffin. Uh, Tim's a great friend. Uh, Tim's a great lieutenant governor. uh, And I have no doubt, in fact, I'm quite confident that he will be an outstanding governor. And, you know, Tim's background really is interesting. He served in D.C. He was a congressman. He worked for, um, I think, the Department of Homeland Defense. I think Uh, he worked um, for the, um, he was a, a U.S. attorney. Uh, Tim was, uh, he is in the military as we speak, and he's got a combat ribbon. Uh, so he real, and perhaps most importantly, he spent the la- last eight years here on the ground working in state government. So he is ready on day one to take over the job uh, as governor. And really to transition in the direction of a conservative governorship, 
that continues this move towards conservative values here in the state of Arkansas. And I will be explicit. This is no criticism of Sarah. I think Sarah is a good person and a smart person and actually quite an able candidate. But I think what this state needs as we transition forward towards true conservatism is someone who's been on the ground working in that direction uh, for many years and ready to take the job on day one. So uh, I'm a strong supporter of Tim's, and we're going to be hearing more about Tim Griffin, uh, of course, as we proceed forward and the election becomes closer. But I really think that he has this kind of quiet, um, solid attitude when it comes to governing. And that's what we need to see uh, in government. We need to see someone who's committed to that, to do it in a steady way. And really, Tim has that ability. What are your thoughts on the not-so-distant election for our next governor? It's it's going to be a battle. You know, we've got, what, Leslie Rutledge, the currently sitting attorney general that's come out and says she's going to run. We've got Sarah Sanders. I don't think she's officially announced, but she's running. Her dad's moving back to Arkansas. Tim Griffin's announced. He's raising money. By, by the way, Tim Griffin's full bird, full bird colonel. Been to the war college. My granddad, uh, uh, born in Malvern, Arkansas, graduated from West Point. He is a full bird colonel. So full bird colonel, colonel, one step away from a one-star general. Um, he, he's got a lot going for him, and I'm excited. Um, he's, he, he needs to turn his horn some more. He saved money in the lieutenant governor's office. He's done some great things for Arkansas, and um, we got to see him tooting his horn some more. Yeah, and I think he will, to be clear, because what yeah. Tim has done is he's governed, right? Tim yeah. wasn't running uh, for governor, so he's just governed. He's done his job. He right. came in every day to work, and he did his job, and he did his w- job well, and he did his job quietly, and he, and he slowly helped push, and I don't mean slowly as a criticism, I mean steadily helped push this state towards conservative values. And, and that's what you like to see, a steady conservative. And now it's going yep. to be time for him to start being a little more vocal, and he will be, I'm confident, and to toot his own yep. horn as you aptly characterize it, because it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a real election, uh, and Tim Griffin is in it to win it, and I think we have a good chance for him to do exactly that. Go ahead. Yeah, he's he's hitting the circuit. He you know he's proposed something that's not outlandish. He's just proposed to end the state income tax. You know we're we're right next to states that don't have a state income tax, and and we're losing. The state of Arkansas is losing that battle. Because Texas doesn't have a state income tax, Tennessee doesn't have one, and um, it's a uh, yeah. He's he's he proposed it. Now it's not going to happen overnight. He's realistic about some of these proposals, but let's shoot for the moon, man. Let's make Arkansas great. Well, as I've mentioned on the air before, I pay more in percentage and and in dollars, I suspect as well of state income taxes than my sister who lives in the most leftist Massachusetts does. Now, how is that possible? How is it that the state of Arkansas has higher state taxes than the state of Massachusetts income taxes? By the way, our sales tax uh, is very high through the roof. And of course, we added, what, a half cent to that for that ridiculous, unelected, unaccountable highway department now. 
That's passed. That's a done deal. That's an awful idea. And it passed because we had a bunch of politicians who weren't telling us in reality what was happening. So put that aside, but add that money in. We've got overwhelmingly high state income taxes. We've got overwhelmingly high state and local sales taxes. We are overtaxed as our Kansans. And it's time that we get to keep some more of our own money. And I, I say it and I say it again. When you hear these politicians say, well, we, we wanna, we've got important things to spend money on. Hey, guess what? In my household, we make tough decisions. And the state government needs to make tough decisions. And when state government gives a million dollars to an opera house up there in northwest Arkansas, you know what you can conclude? State government's got too much money. That's the government's right. got too That's much right, money. What, I'm funding a million-dollar operation for an opera house up in northwest Arkansas. You know who should be funding that? A, the bunch of rich people that go to that state, uh, go to that private opera house to listen to their opera or watch their plays, because I'm not sure it's quite an opera house as it is a theater. But I'm going to call it an opera house. That's right, I will. <laughs> That's right, I will. All right, and y'all. So, thank you so yep. much. We are just about out of time. Uh, we hope y'all have a great New Year, and Dave will be back next Monday to kick off 2021 with a bang. Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett are your resident legal experts. They have been filling in for Dave awesomely. Uh, We will see y'all next week on the Dave Ellswick Show. Enjoy a best of tomorrow for New Year's Day. This is the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Come on, come on, daddy, please.